You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. Hey, what's up, traders? It's Nikhati Hondo of Desire to Trade, and welcome to episode 42 of the Desire to Trade podcast. Today, my guest, Richard Westman, wrote a book with, I think, the best title ever for a book, Trade Like a Casino. This book talks about how to trade like casino do, basically. That means having a strategy with rules and then executing on that correctly, like, like a casino would do. He shared great advice on how you can trade yourself like a casino, how you can implement this in your trading. So this is something not to miss. Now, guys, before we go into the interview, I just want to talk about something I've been working on in the past few months, and I just released it. I won't tell you exactly what it is, but go check out thisartrade.com forward slash new, and you'll see everything, new and EW, and you'll see everything I'm talking about. thisartrade.com forward slash new, and you'll see exactly what I've been working on and how you can register. The registration for that are going to be open until Wednesday this week, so make sure you check this out before. Now, last thing, if you're not in the Facebook group, check out thisartrade.com forward slash group and join me there. I look forward to helping you in your trading and I'll see you at the end. Ciao. We'll start by uh, asking you for one quote that inspires you. Okay, so one of my favorite quotes from the book is um, trade the markets, not the money. So a, a problem in human nature is that we tend to focus on the money. The only reason why anyone gets in the business of trading is to make money, and uh, it's logical to think about a numerical goal when we're trading because our bills come in a nice, orderly, monthly fashion. Um, but returns in the market tend to be quite lumpy. So sometimes the market will give you um, a few hundred dollars off of a trade, and really that's all that it's offering. And if you try and force more money out of the market from that trade, you're going to lose tens of thousands. Uh, other times, the market will offer us hundreds of thousands off of a single trade. And if you start thinking about your bills and start thinking about the money and wow, you know, this is 20,000 bucks. I could pay a lot of bills with 20,000 bucks. Then you um, cut off the profit tail, the distribution, and you cut yourself off from the problem, from the possibility of an outlier gain. Sounds good. So what exactly are you doing these days? So we actually just launched a, um, a commodity trading advisor. Uh, we just got approval with the um, CFTC and the NFA um, to start uh, to start uh, managing uh, accounts, and um, we've got you know I've, I've got a very long trading history, uh, but we've actually just gotten registered. So um, we'll see. You know, it's it's an interesting opportunity, and people have asked me to manage money for a long time, and I've always kind of you know, shied away from it, but, uh, I've got a couple of partners now. They're going to hop, they're going to handle operations and sales and all that stuff for me. Uh, and, and kind of, uh, make it a lot easier for me. So, so you're really focusing on trading, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's called um, CNV Capital Management. CNV is uh, in one of the chapters in my book is called the cyclical nature of volatility. And so uh, that's what we're doing. We're trading based upon the cyclical nature of volatility. So volatility cycles from periods of high volatility to low volatility, low volatility to high volatility. And um, it, it, it actually uh, offers uh, some, some good uh, potential asymmetries in terms of risk-reward, where if you're in low volatility especially, um, of course, it can remain in low volatility, and then you'll be looking for a breakout, and you end up with a small loss. But the other possibility is that you cycle out of low volatility into high volatility, and then you have the potential for high reward. So that's the type of thing we look for is, is high probability, because the longer you stay in a low volatility environment, the greater the probability of cycling out of low volatility with low risk. So if it's a false breakout, it's low risk, you lose little, and the potential for high reward um, when you have a real breakout. Hmm. So we'll definitely talk about your book because there's a lot of stuff in it. But before I want to know, how did you start to trade exactly? All right. So I started in 87 on the floor of the New York Futures Exchange, it was called at the time. Uh, it was acquired by the Cotton Exchange and then merged to become the uh, the NIBOT, the New York Board of Trade. And then that was acquired by Intercontinental Exchange. But when I started, it was uh, trading stock index futures in 1987. Hmm. How was the process to learn? Well, I, basically, on floor, there's a couple of different types of um, of business models. There's uh, floor brokers or pit brokers. Those are people that are just making commissions, filling tickets for customers. And I knew I didn't want to do that. And then there's scalpers. And basically, they're just trying to make the spread between the bid and the ask all day long um, and provide liquidity to the market. And I knew I didn't want to do that. So that kind of left door number three, which was speculation. Um, and that's basically taking a position in order to provide liquidity to other players in the market as well as commercial hedgers. Um, and the problem is that that business really doesn't come with, a, uh, with an instructor's manual. So what I had to do was learn through mistakes. And I started learning and losing and learned how to lose less and struggled for not just my time on the floor, but for many years before I actually started developing positive expectancy models, models that made money over time and managing risk well and, uh, and eventually, you know, becoming more successful. I guess every trader goes through that phase, right? So tell us about what one mistake you made in that time. So, well, it's, it's all ancient history. There's so many mistakes. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, one of the... Uh, one of the most obvious mistakes was that um, it was a timing mistake. I had entered the business right before the 87 crash. And I kind of knew that the crash was coming. It was, it was one of these things that was kind of obvious. You know, the Friday before the crash was a big down day. And um, I, I knew that the crash was coming. And I knew that I should sell S&P, I'm, I'm sorry, knife 
futures. Knife was our exchange, the New York Futures Exchange stock index futures. Um, but honestly, I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid, you know, it was, it's so big and it was so volatile on Friday. And what if I was wrong? Um, so instead of selling the stock index futures, I bought uh, some gold futures. And of course, gold went up. It's not like I lost money on the trade. Um, but if I had had more experience and uh, a greater understanding of, uh, of market behavior, I would have sold the S I would have sold the S and P I would have sold the stock index futures and done much better. Mm -hmm. And did you have anyone with you to teach you how to trade or did you have to learn everything by yourself? Nope. I learned everything by myself. I read some books, um, but really I learned by losing money. That's the way you learn. I wish I could say there was another way to learn. But And then how did you came to write your, your book, Trade Like a Casino? So basically, I had, I had already written a book before that called Mechanical Trading Systems. Um, uh, and I had a relationship with my publisher, John Wiley. Uh, and, you know, I wrote the book. It was okay. It wasn't a terrible book. It was, it, it, it said something. It definitely had something to say. But I did not feel like it was my definitive statement on trading. And that feeling kind of stuck in my craw for, I don't know, close to 10 years. And finally, um, I approached John Wiley again and said, hey, I got this other idea for a book, and this is the book that I want to write. And of course, because I had a relationship with them, they were happy to publish whatever I was writing. And, um, and that became Trade Like a Casino. And it is kind of like my definitive statement on speculative trading. And I'm much more happy with it. Um, it received, you know, critical industry complaint. Uh, it, it received uh, critical industry um, praise, and uh, and it's it's been a good kind of statement. Mm -hmm. And just for the listeners, tell us what is the uh, the meaning behind trading casino exactly. So the idea is, like I said, trading. You know, speculative trading doesn't come with an instruction manual. But if you think about what successful speculative trading is, um, it is what I call the casino paradigm. So the book is, you know, is divided into three parts, and part one is the casino paradigm. And so it is the the world of speculative trading. Trading really is like the gaming industry. So in the gaming industry. Um, the casino really doesn't know on any given hand if they're or any given spin of the wheel if they're going to win or lose. That's okay because they have what's known as the probability skew. In other words, if people keep playing these games, um, probability is skewed in favor of the casino and against them the player. And that's called the probability skew. And in trading, we call probability skew most traders call it their edge but uh in financial mathematics we call it a positive expectancy model it means that after deducting for commissions and the spread between the bid and the ask you still make money by trading that model um, but even in the gaming industry probability skew is not enough um, if you have a player and you allow them to bet too big on a single spin of the wheel and the spin comes up with a low probability event, let's say that you, you know, they put all their money on black and you allow them to bet a billion dollars on a single spin and it does come up black, well, now they own the casino because you've allowed them to bet so too big. Um, so what the casinos do is they instill what are known as table limits. And by 
creating a maximum bet size per spin, it forces the player to bet smaller and ensures that if they play long enough, the probability skew will eat up whatever money they've got. Now, the third element that casinos don't need um, is, uh, you know, trader psychology, uh, trader um, discipline, uh, because they've already got the discipline. They've already got that. But we in the world of trading need the discipline um, to keep betting on the positive expectancy model, keep managing the risk, just like the casinos uh, keep instilling table limits, even after uh, the player has a string of wins. So that's how it works. So I, I really like the concept of, of a casino, basically, because it's really about that. And I think the probably the most important point is that you have to keep your money for a long time, right? Right. And this is what you mentioned in the book. So tell us, how do people reach that state of trading at a casino exactly? So I think first, first thing comes from doing the research on your models. You have confidence in the models because you do tons of research. So you know how bad the worst peak-to-value drawdown in equity is because you've tested it for 10, 20, 30 years of data on, you know, 30, 40 different assets that have, you know, low correlation to each other. Um, so that, the fact that you know the data, you know that it has positive expectancy over a long data set uh, for low correlated assets um, gives you the confidence to keep being disciplined and keep managing the risk. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you have to do the tests, right? You, you have to, yeah, you have to back test. Yeah, that's that's the tricky thing about not doing a, um, a mechanical system is that you don't have back tested data supporting um, your uh, your assumptions, and therefore you have no confidence when you have four or five losses in a row. You have no confidence that your assumptions actually enjoy positive expectancy. Um, so. It's tougher. Mm-hmm. And how would you define what, like a mechanical system? Well, a mechanical system could be incredibly simple. Whenever the 50-day moving average crosses above the 200, you buy. And whenever it crosses below, you sell. That's a mechanical trading system. It's rule-based. You can backtest it. Uh, everyone throughout the globe, as long as they use the same kind of moving averages, let's just say simple weighted moving averages, uh, and the same assets, they're going to get the same exact back-tested results that you get. So can discretionary trader use the same uh, methodology of trading like a casino, or is, it, is that a different world? So discretionary traders, um, you can... Um, use like fundamental information in order to um, come up with trading decisions. Um, you have to somehow. Uh, well, there's two things. You know, you can you can be totally discretionary where there's absolutely no rules, um, or you can create rules based upon fundamentals. Uh, and then there is some kind of discretion as to you know how you implement it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it, it does become kind of more fuzzy. Um, I when when I work with um, with discretionary traders, one of the main things that I focus on with them is 
risk management, money management, because if you're not going to be able to back test, then the only thing that's going to give you the confidence is that you're a really, really good risk manager. So in other words, you have five losses in a row and you're willing to pull the trigger on the sixth trade because you've been trading so small all along that you don't care if you have another loss. So what are the main uh, mistakes you see people make that you work with? Uh, number one mistake is that they're undercapitalized. Okay. So what do you mean exactly? Uh, you know, it, if think of it this way, let's say that you have, um, $5,000 in an account, right? Okay. And let's say that the commissions per trade, um, is, uh, $10. Okay. And that every time you enter or exit, you're probably going to lose another $10. So you can see already, uh, just from the get-go, that um, you're, you know, you're down almost um, a half a percent <laughs> before you ever get started. Right? <laughs> okay. So, so that's the problem with being undercapitalized. Um, is that you, you, it's possible to make money, but you have to be even better, you know, even more perfect. And then, uh, what people tend to do because they're so undercapitalized is that they tend to bet too big. They don't manage the risk, so they say, "Well, look, I, you know, if I only if I only uh, risk one percent uh, on a five thousand dollar account." Um, I'm not going to make any money. I'm only going to, I'm only going to be risking, risking 50 bucks. So I'm only going to make, be making, let's say 50, 75, a hundred bucks. Um, and it's not worth it. So what I'll do is I'll risk 10% and then, uh, I can make a thousand bucks. But the problem is if you risk 10%, uh, and you lose, now you've lost a thousand bucks. Now you got to try and, now you got to try and, uh, trade with $4,000 under management. And the problem is magnified. And, you know, you always have to assume the worst thing is going to happen in your trading right from the get go at all times. So you assume that the, that, Immediately upon uh, starting to trade, you're going to experience a drawdown in equity, which is worse than the worst historical drawdown you experienced in your back test. So if the worst historical drawdown was 10%, you've got to expect that you're going to experience 12, 13, 14%. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, though. So what would be the, uh, the rule of thumb of the money people need to start to trade? Is there like an amount people need or? Yeah, I think that, you know, in order to do anything, even a small account, you really need $100,000. Okay. For yeah. stocks or? Uh, I don't do stocks. I only do futures. Okay. Futures. Okay. okay. Yeah. So unfortunately, I don't know any, I mean, I know about stock index futures, but mm -hmm. I don't trade individual stocks. So I don't feel like I'm qualified to speak on that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I feel it's going to be different depending on market, right? So even if you're trading currencies, it's probably going to be a different thing. Now, currencies are very similar to futures. So there okay. I will talk. I've traded spot Forex for years. Okay. And so how was that, that spot Forex? Same, it's very similar to futures. Same, same leverage issues, uh, same problem of being undercapitalized. You don't want to be undercapitalized. I would say just trade spot Forex. You really need 100000 in an account too, just like futures. You know, I mean, you could do it with less, but of course, if you have a drawdown, you know, which you have to assume is going to happen right from the get-go, uh, you could very quickly 
you know, be behind the eight ball and, and dig yourself a hole that's going to be hard to get out of. Unless you're ready to accept like a small return, right? Right. Unless you're, yeah, if you're okay with, um, so let's say, uh, what, 50,000 in the account. So you're okay with risking 500 to make 500, uh, you know, risking, risking 250 to make 250, then sure, you can slowly, gradually build yourself up. And about uh, trading at Casino, how is the the book made exactly? What's in the book? So, so the book is basically um, divided into three parts. So, in um, in part one, it's the casino paradigm, which I've kind of outlined for your listeners uh, already. Um, and so that's you know. Uh, positive expectancy models combined with risk management and uh, trader discipline to keep betting on the positive expectancy models when the losses come in clusters. Um, and then part two is, um, is uh, tools and techniques uh, and then, um, and then uh, part three is trader psychology, uh, trader discipline. Mm -hmm. This is something people wonder a lot about, trading psychology and discipline. What are some of the techniques you can use to be more disciplined? This is something I get all the time. Mm -hmm. To be more disciplined? Yeah. First thing that gives you confidence, like I said, is to backtest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second thing is not to trade too big. If you trade small enough, you really don't care if the next trade is a win or a loss. Um, second thing is, um, uh, where the third thing is that, um, you should always know your exit prior to entry. So you should always know why you get in a trade, but also you should know where you're out when you're wrong. So you have a plan in advance, basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is what, this is where I get in. This is where my stop loss is. This is the point where I would be wrong. And also, you should have some type of plan of how you manage successful trades. If I have a gain of you know two times the 10-day average true range, I will now move my stop from a stop loss to a break-even. If I have a gain of four times the average true range, I will move my stop to two times the average true range profit. And in that way, you keep trailing the market and allowing profits to, uh, to accumulate on, on successful positions. Mm -hmm. So I think the, probably the big thing is that people know they have to backtest, but yep. somehow they, they don't really do it, right? Right. Or something. Do you see people have trouble with backtesting sometimes? So, yeah, I mean, I wish I could tell you that, um, that uh, you know, don't worry about it. But I, I do think that it's worth, if you're, if you're going to put money in the market, you should be willing to learn basic programming. Uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's not rocket science either, especially I think a lot of these programs out there like CQG has a, has a very kind of user-friendly um, programming language where you can program fairly easily. Um, I think that, um, uh, what's it called? Um, TradeStation, also fairly easy programming language uh, to, to backtest and trade and backtest these things yeah and depending on the market you have you have a different software right so like for forex uh, forex tester too yeah see i i i work with cqg so that's the only one i'm really uh, uh 
I'm really uh, knowledgeable about. In the old days, I used to work with something called Athena Expert, um, but that was years and years ago. I've worked with CQG now for probably around 15 years. So, and it's really easy. I mean, as you know, it's it's still programming, but it's it's incredibly easy compared to like real programming, like Java or C plus plus or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, for sure. And what is the sample you look for when you start to backtest? <laughs> yeah, this is what really gets people um, to determine that something statistically significant. <laughs> I want to see. Um, I want to see minimum two thousand data points. Uh, 2,000 trades, in other words, and preferably between 10 and 50,000. Mm-hmm. And then I feel confident that I've actually got something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this is, if, if this is something you do with the script, then it's easier, right? But I don't see people doing it manually, though. Well, you know, it's, it's really not that hard. Um, with a good data vendor like CQG, you can do 30 years uh, after you've programmed it. You could do 30 years. Um, it, it runs very, very fast. Uh, and that's for one asset. And then you just use, you know, you change the symbol and now it's doing another asset for 30 years. Um, so you could, once, once you do the programming, you could get in and out and backtest something, I would say, probably in around 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, this is amazing. Get, yeah, and get that much data where you have, you know, you know 10,000 data points and you have some confidence that you actually have something. But, yeah, at the same time, like, people kind of go away from backtesting. They don't want to do it. But at the same time, it's like the, the thing that's going to make you successful, right? It's like the thing that's going to make you like a casino, basically. Well, you know, here's the thing is that um, if you don't backtest when the losses come, what's going to give you the confidence? Yeah, exactly. Then you're going to be stressed for sure. Yeah. Well, and not just that, you could end up um, you could end up giving up on a positive expectancy model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Because you have no confidence because you don't know that it's positive expectancy or even worse, you could you know, throw money down the toilet on something that doesn't enjoy positive expectancy that you never should have been trading in the first place. And by doing the back testing, you would have learned that this thing doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So would you say that everything, like the most important part would be discipline or is there something else people have to master when they start to trade mechanically? Yeah, without discipline, nothing's going to work. Um, you have to have the discipline because without discipline, you will not manage the risk. You will abandon a positive expectancy model. You, you know, just everything starts with discipline. When people start trading, they think it's all about the model, uh, that the model will give them perfect entries, perfect exits. They'll never have to worry about managing the risk. They don't even know that trader discipline is an issue because they think they'll always win. Uh, and the more you get acclimated to the reality of what trading is, uh, the more you realize that the model is actually um, uh, the least difficult part. And the more difficult part is risk management. And the most difficult part is the discipline. Would you fit emotion into discipline or is that another yes. topic? Yes. Okay. Emotion is discipline. Yeah. Discipline to temper emotionalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you basically have the, the strategy and then discipline on the side, right? The two have to be combined. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you have the strategy, which includes risk management, and then the discipline to adhere to the strategy, the discipline to adhere to the risk management protocols. 
So I guess you work with a lot of people who do this, but what what would be the first steps people have to take if they want to get with a system and then make sure they have the discipline? So the first step is actually to um, uh, get some type of software package and learn how to backtest in that software package and play around, develop positive expectancy models. Most of the things that you'll test won't enjoy positive expectancy. They'll lose a little um, or they'll be, they'll be successful, but they'll be so kind of clunky that you're never going to trade them in real time. Okay, so it's really about finding a strategy like that. And do you have any advice on how people can decide what they want to trade? So, um, so, uh, you know, in, in the book, I do give some throwaway models, you know, real simple stuff as, as kind of like, um, uh, starting points. Now in terms of what people want to trade, so are we talking about asset classes or what do you mean? Yeah, I guess asset classes or different type of trades, like Yeah. So, um, so again, really, I just know, uh, futures and spot FX, uh, those are the asset classes that I'm most familiar with, but I think trading is trading. You know, um, I think that if you, if you develop something that's really good, it should work in anything. It should work in stocks, bonds, uh, anything. Uh, so. And so how do you develop that, that good system then? Would you start to read books and find strategies in books or how right. do you go so, about it? So, so in my book, uh, I actually have a chapter where it's, it's called, you know, I forget, I forget what the chapter is, but it's something about models and it's, they're basic kind of what I call throwaways. They're, they're stuff that actually does enjoy positive expectancy that if you spent any time in research, you'd be able to, um, create a more robust iteration of these same throwaways. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's called how to use trading models. Um, and I give a couple of throwaways, you know, simple, um, mechanical trading systems. Could you give Uh, us an example of what that looks like? Yeah, sure. So one of the simplest ideas that it's actually kind of a sneaky way of me um, proving that people uh, that are lazy are going to be, you know, building your next uh, summer house. So what's the lazy thing that people say about markets and technical analysis? Well, when the RSI is above 70, you want to sell. When it's below 30, you want to buy. So I developed a model called RSI Trend. RSI trend will buy when the nine-day RSI is above 65, and it will sell when the nine-day RSI is below 35, and it makes money. Uh, what is it? How does it exit? It's uh, well. There's a couple of iterations of it in the book, but I think uh, I'm trying to think. One of them is using a 10-day Donchian stop. Another one is using a three-day Donchian stop. It, it's really a game of inches. It really doesn't matter, as long as you're getting in when the RSI tells you it's slightly overbought, and you're managing the risk on the trades that don't work. <laughs> it makes money. So it's exact. It's exactly the opposite of what people think. Yeah, but it makes total sense because you you profit from the trend, right? Mm-hmm. It's clearly like trend trading, so it does it, make sense. Yep, yep. And people yeah. don't like it. People are very uncomfortable, and that's one of the things that really works in trading is when people are uncomfortable, they can't do it, and so there's lots of money to be had. 
you profit from discomfort. So um, if you can't be comfortable with the discomfort of a position, then trading's probably not for you. Yeah, this is important though because people think that trading is only about putting a trade, but it's about how you're going to feel when you put that trade, right? Right. Well, especially because everyone thinks you're wrong. Everyone thinks it's moved too far. Oh, it can't keep moving like this. You know, blah blah blah. And sometimes they're going to be right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it is moved too far, and you know, and that's okay. You're going to take a loss on that one. Um, you know, this type of simple trading system. Uh, you know, I can look at the results here, but uh, it's going to have less than fifty percent winners. Let's let's put it that way. So this one, I did a three day trailing stop on this RA. RSI trend on the back test. So it only had like 36, uh, 74 winners. In other words, around 37% wins. So you're going to have more losses. And that's fine because its average win is twice as big as its average loss. That's important. You don't have to be right more often than, than you're wrong. Totally. Right. That's totally right. right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you can't trade the money because when you have this big outlier profit, you can't get out because you're saying, oh, this is too much money. It's going to go back, blah, 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 because those are the ones that are going to pay for all the small losers. If you cut off the profit tail, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. And what is your trading style today? So I trade multiple models. Um, I trade a, um, a low volatility breakout, which is trend following kind of, um, but it's very short term. It tends to hold from around two to 10 days. And then I have a high volatility counter trend model. So it basically waits for volatility to get overdone and then looks for reversion to the mean with a very, very good risk management uh, protocol in case we're wrong because high volatility can always get higher. So that's kind of risky. Um, But, you know, everything's risky. Um, So uh, it's all about how you manage the risk. So those are the, I mean, there's, there's iterations off of those two basic theories, but those are the two basic theories that are running the, the one, two, three, four models that are in use right now. But yeah, so what I see is that those models are not like contradicting themselves, right? They're like different. So you can trade in different markets, basically. Sure, sure. Yeah, They're, it's kind of like a radio button. Either volatility is high or volatility is low. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, they're not, they're not um, stepping on each other's toes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is good. And tell us a little bit, what is your lifestyle today as a trader? Well, you know, I'm, I've never been one to like really care about, you know, the big house, the flashy car. My lifestyle is I like to trade. Um, I like to teach. Um, I like to write. And that's my lifestyle. I sit around trading, teaching, writing. Um, and now with this with this CTA that we've formed, uh, I'm going to start really training uh, some junior, junior traders and take them on and, and teach them uh, how to trade. And I've already started to do that, but I'm going to do a lot more of that. Can we say that you have more freedom than, than you used to have? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 It, yeah, you didn't look sure, so okay, it's interesting. Well, you know, the thing is that... Um, it's it's a 24-hour market, so it depends how you define freedom, you know. 
So I do have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning when the ECB makes their rate announcement. So uh, in many ways, the person who has a nine to five job, they have a lot more freedom than I have on ECB days. <laughs> yeah, in, okay. <laughs> in general, all the other hours of all the other days, um, you know, I can always go for a walk in the park or, you know, do a workout or whatever I, I want to do whenever I need to do it. Mm -hmm. And as a future trader, let's say non-ECB days, what is your schedule exactly? Well, it really does change with every day. So some days um, are, uh, are kind of news heavy and I have more screen time and other days. And, and also some days I have more positions that I'm babysitting and some days I have very few positions or no positions. Um, and so my day, I try to... Um, I try to uh, uh, do a lot of reading, uh, and uh, I try to do a lot of writing. As a general rule of thumb, I want to write, I want to I do study and research. Hmm. So this is going to bring us to the next part, which is how can people find you if they want to read what you, what you write? Sure. So um, you can uh, go to um, cnvcapital.com. That's our website. CNVcapital.com, cool. Yeah, CNV, cyclical nature of volatility. You're on social media as well, right? Yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. cool. So what, is, what are your main goals for the future? Well, I'd like the CTA to be, um, you know, really successful. Um, I think that uh, we have a very aggressive, uh, uh, soft close target of $5 billion because we're trading uh, 26 incredibly liquid assets uh, that have low correlations and we're trading multiple models. So I think that um, our capacity is quite high. So I'd like to, you know, I, I guess the, the first goal would be to get to um, uh, $100 million in assets under management. And uh, I think the ultimate goal would be to close the fund. Close the CTA, it's not a fund. And what's keeping you motivated? Is it the passion for trading? Um, yeah, you know, I think at this point, it's funny because I know people talk about passion and this and that. I think at this point, it's, it's, I look at it like passion sounds very emotional to me. I look at it like I'm a scientist, you know, and I'm doing experiments in the market every day. And I never know, is this going to be, you know, is this going to be a successful experiment or is this going to be an unsuccessful experiment? But overall, I know that um, there, it's positive expectancy models. We should see some some success. Um, so I, I look at it much more as kind of like, hmm, let's see what happens on this one. But it's not as if you jump in the market without any plan, right? You still have everything yeah. planned. Yeah. Everything so. is everything is totally planned. There's there's no discretion. So uh, Richard, I just want to remind the listeners that all the show notes are going to be on this com for this podcast. So if people want to find the links we talked about, Either about the software to backtest and everything, it's going to be on disartertrade.com, the link to your book as well, and all your sites. And Richard, I have one last question for you, which is, if you could give only one sentence of advice for traders, what would that one sentence of advice be? Manage the risk. It's simple. So how do you do that exactly? 
never risk more than 1% of assets under management on any specific trading idea and uh, dampen the risk in front of uh, event risk days or event, event risk moments and uh, be cognizant of correlations between assets, positively correlated assets, dampen your, dampen your exposures because of that. Hmm, there's nothing in that. So, Richard yeah. Westman, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And for all listeners, I'll see you in the next episode. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, guys. So, how was that? I hope you liked it. Go on disartistrack.com forward slash group. Write your main takeaway from the podcast in the group. This is a great way to, first of all, remember it. And then help other people as well. Let me know if I can help. And go check out thisartitrack.com forward slash new to see the new thing I've been working on. This is really going to help. I have no doubt. So check this out. Register if you want. And I'll see you in the next episode.